Recruiting is a sales process. You are selling to this person a vision that they may not even known they were looking for. Like, I can see you, Susie, owning your own company. And when you're talking to the Susie, you got to like sell her on that vision, right? Well, if it's a sales job, and I bet a lot of people would agree right now that probably it is a sales job, then treat it like a sales funnel. Put a lot of candidates through that funnel, have some really good filters so that what comes out of that funnel are some really high quality candidates. So the big question is this, how do small business owners like us grow our business, grow our leadership and develop our teams in a way that allows us to get our products and services out of the world yet still remain profitable? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Bradley Hamner, and this is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Hey, before we get into today's episode, did you know that Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agency owners in the country, providing monthly accounting, CFO services, and tax preparation? Check them out at club.capital. Chris, I'm really excited about today's interview with John Schaefer, multi-office State Farm agent in Pensacola, Florida. John's somebody I have a personal relationship with. I was really excited to have him on the podcast. He's somebody that really invests the time to pouring into recruiting and developing his team at a level that very few people are able to do. We really break down the process of recruiting, the importance of recruiting and how he does that. And he's put six people into owning their own insurance agency out of his office. Very impressive guy, tons of energy. I think people are going to get a lot out of this podcast. What's a couple of things you came away with? The thing that fascinated me the most about John is how process oriented he is. And it's no surprise because of the fact that he's got an engineering background. So I love how he uses that background to really maximize his efforts when it comes to recruiting and actually building a culture at his company. I'm so excited about this podcast. I'm super excited anytime that I get to speak to a fellow nerd. And I mean that in the most endearing way possible. So without further ado, let's get into it. Google makes it easy. Swipe a card, pay for marketing. Sure, you get a few more phone calls, but they have nothing to do with your business. The truth is Google can't understand the buyer's intent. Enter Matt and Maddie Jonesa, the husband-wife duo adding intention to your online marketing game. As a State Farm agent himself, Matt built his business by maximizing the volume and quality of inbound calls. His success led to the creation of DirectClicks, a company helping insurance agents across the country grow their business through online campaigns. They focus on Google ads so you don't have to spread your budget across the internet. With attention to detail and transparency, they provide monthly review calls, exclusivity, and the lowest cost per click. So before you swap that card, Contact Matt and Maddie Jones at directclicksinc.com. Again, that's directclicksinc.com. John, welcome to the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Glad to have you on. Thanks, Bradley. Looking forward to it. Absolutely, sir. Welcome and pleasure to meet you today, John. Yeah, Chris. Been nice talking with you. All right. So, John, we always like to start out with a little bit of a background and origin story. So, for people that don't know you, why don't you tell them a little bit about your journey and how you got to where you are today? Sure. Okay. Big question. I was a electrical engineer by degree. So I went to Auburn University, got a degree in electrical engineering. And you can't spell geek without double E. I'm definitely that guy. And kind of forced, gumpted my way through my career. Just always seemed to be at the right place at the right time and lucked into the next move. But somehow I started an engineering firm. I enjoyed that very much and uh, sold that to a really large company. 
and they moved me back to Pensacola, Florida, which is actually just coincidentally my hometown, or, or at least my dad was stationed there for my formative years. So when my wife and I moved to Pensacola, Florida, we wanted to stay here. And I worked for General Electric and they were wanting me to move all the time. So we looked around, tried to figure out what could we do and was it buy a franchise or something. And then my state farm agent was in a chamber of commerce leadership Pensacola program and got to know him a little better. And he essentially recruited me to state farm. But State Farm's feedback was a uh, great entrepreneur background, love your engineering, but you need some sales and financial service experience. So big gamble, one of those big, like I said, Forrest Gump moments. I, um, I went off to Merrill Lynch and loved that so much. I actually wanted to stay there. And then State Farm called me a few years later and said, hey, we've got a perfect opportunity for you. It was an easy decision. They launched me in downtown Pensacola, exactly where I wanted to be and helped get me started. And so I've been a State Farm agent now about 13 years, I think, 13 years. Yep. And I love it. I could be the poster child of recruiting for State Farm because I have found my home. Through all the changes in my career, this is, I can, you know, of course, be yours the rest of my life and I'd be a happy person. Boom. That sounds amazing, actually. It's great that you have an engineering background, which is, I would say, atypical for, you know, like the typical sure. state farm agent, you know, that said, there's a lot of engineers and particularly one that comes to mind that have started great companies that rely on a heavy sales force. And the primary company that comes to mind is actually HubSpot. One of the co-founders of HubSpot was an engineer by trade. And he even wrote a book, I think it's called The Sales Acceleration Formula, where he okay. talks about how he used engineering principles and just like math to develop a sales force. I definitely recommend checking that out. Two things come to mind when you think engineering, especially electrical where it's heavy math, is that nerdo part of it helps in that, you know, it can be more process oriented, more numbers oriented, and, mm -hmm. and that has its obvious advantages. The disadvantages are electrical engineers don't tend to be the most sociable, astute people, right? I mean, everybody knows the, the engineer that. Well, anyways, so having to overcome that to be a people person is unique. Yeah, so I get that. But I tell you, the other thing that came to mind is I spent a lot of time in the corporate world, right? So engineering world, either engineering management or engineering financing and so forth. And where that helped is I feel like I started what is considered mostly a mom and pop environment, right? Just a small agent, a few team members where the agent's the heavy salesperson. That has been the model for a long time. But what I brought with me were was this corporate idea of leveraging leadership and building out teams and processes so that the agent isn't the center of the sales as much as the manager, the sales manager, the CEO. And that has paid off really well. So we've got 17 team members, got the two offices. I'm managing a third temporarily. They'll take that back. But they've recently announced that they'll consider a third agency officially. And of course, I immediately threw in my, I heard about it at about one o'clock and by about one thirty, I had my proposal sent to leadership that I'm in. And I think why I think I would be a good candidate for that is because I can bring those processes and corporate mindedness and keep leveraging out this model with my leadership team and so forth and really take this whole concept to a whole nother level. Nice. Thank you for sharing that. So it's funny that you say the word processes, because I think that that's 
by the way, the book talks about the processes. And I would love to hear what some of your processes are later on. But let's say that somebody's coming to you and wants to have you be their mentor. You know, like what advice would you give them if they were stepping into the business owner world, whether it's, let's just say specifically in the insurance world, like they're opening up a new agency. Let's just say that they're taking over a book of business, small book of business. What would your advice be to them? Yeah, and I had this just last week. A leadership person I know up in the Northeast asked me to speak to a new agent, actually not a new agent, a five-year agent who was getting a second office for the first time. And so give them the same advice, which is really a no-brainer. Everybody knows this. And that is to invest heavily in your team, that your team is everything. So if we list all the priorities that are important to a small business and especially an agency, State Farm Agency or any financial service agency, all the things that are important are solved by team members sales done through team, great customer service done through team, ethics has to be ingrained in your team, right? There really isn't much that happens that's important that isn't done through having a really good team. So invest heavily in your team. Well, everybody would agree with that. But if you were to, myself included, I'm guilty here, but if we were to poll entrepreneurs on where they spend their time, Obviously, it's going to be on a lot of admin work and a lot of putting out fires, maybe meeting with some customers if you're still engaged on the sales process. But how much time do you really spend on recruiting and developing your team? And there's a great book by Steve Suggs, Can They Sell, who is a huge advocate of, I don't remember if he said this specifically, but spending like a third of your time, like a significant amount of your time on HR-related processes. If it's so important, if we all agree that team is so critical, then why do we not spend more time, right? So we're all guilty of that. And so the advice is to spend quality time on recruiting and developing team. And recruiting doesn't mean throw up a few ads and come through resumes when you need somebody or every week or two. You know, It means having a process every single day where your ads for employment are getting out there and getting refreshed. It's combing through resumes, whether you need them or not. It's assessing the ones that you like on a regular basis and having a system where you actually, whether it's perfect or not, and it's not, but a system that combs through and distills these resumes down to enough candidates that you can fill your pipeline. Okay, that's step one on the recruiting side. And then, okay, how do you develop your team? And so I gave this young agent last week the same advice, which is spend a great deal of time on your team. Get out of your desk or get off your chair, walk around, talk to people, have a lot of systems in place. Whether you think to get up and talk to them or not, you're still in front of them, whether it be regular team meetings, one-on-one appointments with your team, et cetera. Are you an agency owner looking to grow your revenue and increase your bottom line? Club Capital is here to help. Built for agents by agents, so we know your struggles. With accounting, payroll, and HR solutions, tax services, analytics, and more, let's get you on the path to serious success. Using data-driven insights, you'll grow your business based on revenue and expense comparisons alongside your top-performing peers. With over $100 million in tracked annual revenue and $70 million in tracked annual expenses, we have the data to help you make better informed decisions for your agency. Let's make your back office less of a hassle and more of the strategic generator that powers the growth to take your agency and your leadership to the next level. Visit club.capital today to book your complimentary, no obligation demo. Club Capital, way more than a CPA firm. Yeah, this is great. So earlier you used the word leverage, and I think it's great because your team is the greatest source of leverage 
you have in your business. I mean, when you're investing in your team, you're really buying your time back, right? To be able to then grow the business. So here's my question. I really want to know what have you learned? Knowing you personally, I don't know of anybody else that has done more interviews on the phone, in person, and truly does spend as much time on a weekly basis recruiting as you do. So it's a two-part question. Number one, why do you believe agents do get stuck and not spending the time on a weekly basis? I mean, in some cases, they'll go months before they need to recruit. Then something happens. Somebody turns in a notice. Somebody moves. You have to let somebody go, whatever happens. And now you're found in this frantic state of, oh my gosh, I got to start the whole process. I've got to post a job. Where's that job description? And what am I going to pay them? All of those things. So they have to dust everything off to get that started again. But you do it so consistently. Why do you think agents do not do that? And then can you walk us through just high level your process of recruiting from start to finish? Sure. I think agents don't do that because we're all human and we typically put out fires, right? What is the most urgent thing that's consuming our time these days? And oftentimes recruiting is not urgent. It's urgent when you need somebody but it's not screaming at you that there's a fire on a daily basis. I think that's really probably what it comes down to. And this is important. Let me take a step back and say, I'm going to talk a lot today about the ideal, like the things that we do well and the ideal. And I'm not just being falsely humble. We struggle like every other agent and every other small business or entrepreneur where my time isn't spent in the ideal fashion. I think it's important we know what the ideal is and we work toward that ideal versus not having an ideal and just being always behind, okay? So I don't have it perfect. I mean, in fact, I shared with you earlier, just today, I'm losing a team member I, I invested in for a few weeks. I thought it would be a good fit. It turned out not to be. And so here we are, not scrambling, but okay, now we're back to the drawing board on that particular role. But I will say, I do have a couple of people. I got a team member right now reaching out to somebody who we came close to hiring and going to go feel them out. And why do I have that bench or that backup plan? It's because all the work we did in the past. So let's describe some of those ideal processes that we do. First of all, my wife, every morning and every evening is on, I don't know if I'm allowed to give names, but you know, our site that we use to make sure our ads for our job postings are refreshed. So I believe the company we use pushes most of that through Indeed.com, maybe some other sites, but I think Indeed.com is probably going to end up being the primary places our ads are seen. And so she will refresh those ads, maybe change up some wordings, take them down, put them back up, and just make sure they're kept fresh. And she's going to be combing through resumes. And so I'm not saying she spends hours and hours, but every single morning and every single evening, she, for some period of time, is doing that. And I think that's important. Whether you have a family member that can do it or you're a new agent and just have to do it yourself, definitely worth spending time on a regular basis. It's not put an ad out there and just forget about it. Okay, so that's step one. Step two is we cheat. (laughs) We bought an unlimited package from a company that does assessments and we pretty much send just about everybody a request. If they apply for a job, we'll send them the assessment and it's a long enough and difficult enough assessment that only a fraction of the people will actually follow through with it. But it says a lot that they would follow through with it. And to be fair, in the email, I say, it's a template email, so it's very easy to do. Just click, click, click. It says, hey, it's going to take about 30 minutes. It's about 80 questions. So they know going into this, it's a little bit of an investment of a time. So that's going to weed out a lot of people. 
when we get back the assessments, we've learned what to look for. And I know the assessments will bog down or at least discourage people from using it because it just seems like there's nobody, right? There's nobody out there, it seems like, that's qualified. But you know what? That's okay because it's a rare person that can do well in our environment, right? They're out there. They're great people with high energy, servant hearts to serve the families that we serve. They're out there, but they're hard to find and it's worth the extra effort. Okay. So step two is we assess everybody and then we look at the assessments and then we will either myself, my assistant or my wife. And lately we've been leaning more toward my wife will do the initial phone interview and just see what that phone voice sounds like. See if they have looked into us at all. If they prepared and did any kind of research and it's just a real rough and that will knock out a lot of people. And then if she feels like this is somebody worth talking to, then I will do a phone interview. It's a little bit more in depth and then we'll schedule an interview. I never do interviews alone. I have an assistant. She's in part of that. I've recently uh, promoted her to operations manager. So she's a part of all those interviews. And then I usually have at least one, but often two team members sit in on that. And we use the templates that come from that. uh, Can they sell? Uh, Steve Suggs book that I read to drive those interviews. Now, I wish I had a better, the engineer in me says I need a better system for utilizing the programs that are out there to actually track candidates a little bit better. We're starting to kind of get better at that. I would say we've been great. You know that there's 13 people in this part of the process and there's 10 in this process and 100, you know, that would be ideal. We're not there yet. I think that would be good. We then offer the job to the candidate and I'd love to hear your guys' opinion. In the past, we've called references. It's not been as helpful as it seems on paper, because if there's anything negative to be said, people are really reluctant to say it. So we rarely get that candid feedback. About as good as you'll get is if you ask a bunch of questions and all they will say is this person worked here from this time, that time and keep shutting down any questions. That's usually a good sign when there's no bragging whatsoever. But I have not found that those reference check-ins have been quite as good. So we've all but abandoned that. I'd love to hear what you guys think on that. So how many team members have you put into that have gone on to open up their own insurance agency at this point? We've had six be selected. The fun part is the first two were were my first two receptionists. (laughs) So that's interesting. And and in fact, one of those two is as successful as you can get. In our company, we have a thing called Chairman Circle, and she's gotten the last two years, and she's ranked really high in the list of all agents in Florida. And in fact, we battle it out for where we are basically in that ranking. And I love that. And she was hired as a temporary receptionist all those years ago. The last four have been by design. They came, no, I'm going to say the last three. They came to work with me specifically to train as an aspirant and then went on to be their own agents. And that's the way I like to recruit now. So when there's a lot of people that want to recruit aspirants or future agency owners in their business for a lot of different reasons, what, if anything, do you do differently in the recruiting process? And if there's nothing different there, what does the training and development program look like for somebody coming on to be an aspirant as opposed to somebody that's coming in just to be in a sales team member position, whether you see it in your office or in other offices? Great question and probably one of my favorite topics. So cut me off if I go too long. I love the aspirant idea. Okay, let's go back to big picture. What is an aspirant, right? So here's a professional who aspires to have your job, wants to be an agent, 
And at the core of that is somebody who is more motivated than your average person to do well while they work for you, right? So we can all brainstorm and imagine why that's an advantage. You know, they're going to work harder. They're going to train harder. They're going to read the books you recommend. They're going to absorb the things that you try to teach them. They're going to want to role play more than most people. And I'm talking in generalities, but generally speaking, my top producers have been the aspirants. I will say there's always caveats, and I have that right now. I have a person who I was grooming to be an aspirant, has decided not to be an agent, loves her role here. She's now been promoted as one of my office leaders. Her ultimate goal is to work for corporate as a trainer, and I fully support that. And she's my top producer right now and is a rock star. And I just can't convince her, (laughs) right? I don't want to put a round peg in a square hole. And so I stopped talking to her about that. But anyways, there are caveats. But in general, I have found that agent aspirants are really good for my agency. Okay. And so to answer your question, it is definitely a different recruitment job right now. Every once in a while you get lucky and you stumble upon somebody who applies and doesn't know they want to be an aspirant. You hire them for a lot of reasons and then they come on board and you groom them and they become aspirants. When I said there were four, I realized that the fourth one I go. So my number three person to go on came on as a customer care person then became more of a leading salesperson and then a leader in my office and then is now an agent in his hometown and doing great. Okay, so lots of exceptions. So how do you recruit aspirants? Well, first of all, they're entrepreneurs. They got that knack. So we got to tap into that. My last hire, I was working a job fair and this guy walks by and he just had that look. You know how sometimes somebody just, they have that look, you just know there's something special, you know, a little swag in their walk and so forth. And he was walking right on by our booth. Who wakes up in the morning and says, you know what? I want to be an insurance agent. Not many people, right? In my opinion, like start off going, yeah, I definitely want to be, unless they have a family friend or some insight into it. But anyways, so instead of saying, hey, you want to talk about State Farm? I said, hey, do you want to own your own business? And that's going to attract a different kind of person. And, you know, he stopped dead in his tracks, turned around, we talked, and he's just been perfect. He had a high CTS score, crush the licensing, crush the onboarding training, is in there just crushing phone calls. I mean, everything he touches is, and so he's turning out to be exactly what I hoped. And so that's the deal. When you recruit a team member that wants a job and stability is the factor, right, in their mind, Decent pay, stability, great environment, right? That's one kind of person. An aspirant, pay is like secondary or even third or fourth down the priorities. Even the environment can be. They can put up with a lot for a few years. What's important to them is they see themselves owning a company and getting all that mentoring and advocacy that they would get from an agent like me. I have a reputation for putting on team members. And so they know State Farm's kind of watching us and watching our team. And, or at least I tell them they are. (laughs) And so during the recruiting process, if they believe it, right. And they come on board and and it's true, right. My aspirants are well-trained and we role play interviews. And so when they go to interview for agency, they tend to do well. And so that's the environment that we're trying to sell to them when we're recruiting. All I got to say is just, wow. (laughs) I can definitely tell that I'm speaking to a very technical person and mainly because of the fact that I hear you speak and I can definitely see that you have a process from updating your listings daily to making sure that you give them an assessment and the assessment actually we tell people to then getting on the phone with them to see what their voice is like. I mean, I love the assembly line approach, basically. And a little fun fact about assessments is that 
assessments can seem optional or maybe like something that's just extra that a candidate should not do. There was a study a long time ago in between basically people who compete at math in a high level. And there was a strong correlation in between the students who filled out this like optional assessment and how far they got into it and what their actual test scores were. Hmm. And basically what it showed is that people who are actually willing to take the time to fill out the assessment and just do the best that they can are probably people who are likely to stick through something even when it's tough. And it's not because they're smarter or anything like that. It's simply because they have the necessity to like finish what they started to just to go the extra mile. Like they have that determination, I should say. So I'm a huge advocate of assessments period, whether it's a personality assessment, whatever the case may be, definitely pro of them. Um, hey, let's, let's talk about the person that's out there listening who has tried it in the past or hasn't tried it and is about to go through the process. And let's talk about you know, the problems with assessments. The, the problems can be that it's a numbers game, just like sales. So if you only assess five people, there's a decent chance that all five will not come back with a great score. If you were to assess 50 people, you have 10 times more likely to find that diamond in the rough. And so if you're hiring for something, like right now, we just decided today to go ahead and post for a receptionist. Okay, it doesn't take a diamond in the rough. There are literally millions and millions of people who are qualified to do a good job at being a receptionist, right? And now how many people are out there who would be a great aspirant? I mean, an entrepreneurially minded person that can handle what it takes to run a small, modern financial services company, right? I'd like to think that that's actually probably a rare person. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'd like to think that it's a rare person. And so doing five assessments isn't going to cut it for that role, right? And so we got to keep that in mind that we tell our teams all the time to ask everybody for life insurance and it's a numbers game and you got to follow up and you got to put a lot of people in the funnel, right? To make a sales process work. Recruiting is a sales process. You are selling to this person a vision that they may not even know they were looking for. Like, I can see you, Susie, owning your own company. And when you're talking to the Susie, you got to like sell her on that vision, right? Well, if it's a sales job, and I bet a lot of people would agree right now that probably it is a sales job, then treat it like a sales funnel. Put a lot of candidates through that funnel have some really good filters so that what comes out of that funnel are some really high quality candidates. So anyways, my point is if you're new to assessments or tried it in the past, ask yourself, did you give it its full opportunity by putting a lot of people through there? Don't be frustrated when it seems a little (laughs) like it's not working. Thank you for sharing that. One thing that I do want to point out is that recruiting and being very good at it gets people in the door. How do you build culture once they actually become your employee? Wow. Another really big, good, great question. Culture's, of course, king once you have people on board. Let's talk about the importance of culture. Culture is important for results, obviously, but it's also important for attracting candidates. So when they come into your office to do the interview, they're going to sense the culture, especially if you bring the other team members in on the interviews. And so culture is critical, right, to getting results, to enjoying what you do, to recruiting and retaining quality people. Okay. So We all agree. Culture's king. Wow. What do you do? I would say stop and brainstorm. What kind of culture do you want? Right. And then be very intentional about that. Okay. So for example, if you decide in your brainstorming that you want a culture of a winning 
you know, you're winning things, you're a positive environment, high ethics, name a bunch of stuff, name a bunch of adjectives and get that down on paper and then set out with everything you do to be intentional about building a culture, right? And so being intentional means giving it its due time. So if you hear, like I heard a great agent in Mobile, Rebecca Brown, who did a newsletter every month for her team. And she sent me the newsletter and it was brilliant. It was positive and it highlighted team members and it highlighted products and it hired what's going on in their community this month and had great quotes. And there's an agent who intentionally went after creating culture through a simple thing like a newsletter. So what else? Your team needs to bond, right? So it means if one of your adjectives is good teamwork, well, what have you done to build teamwork? And so have you had after hour socials and are you celebrating birthdays and anniversaries and so forth? Winning, right? So that's something a lot of us like to do. And so if winning is your culture or you want it to be a part of your culture, then you need to talk about it. Where do we stand in whatever listings there are? Making sure you pause to celebrate any victories instead of closing out the month saying, hey, good job, and then moving on, like a literal celebration, et cetera. So just be very intentional about it and know what it is you want. Oh, and by the way, an agent or a, a vice president who is retired once told me or said to a group, somebody is controlling the culture in your office. Make sure it's you. And I thought that was brilliant. Or if it's not you, you know, if you're an engineer and you're kind of a geeky guy and you're not real big into maybe culture doesn't come naturally, then maybe have somebody else in charge of culture. But make sure you know and are in control of who does have control of your culture. That's so good. That's tweetable right there. <laughs> tweetable. Love it. All right. Last question for you. And then we're going to go into the world famous Enon. What's the best piece of advice you could give any agent, new agent, experienced agent when it comes to recruiting? Something you said earlier, Bradley, I meant to say, hey, good job when you said it. You were talking about, you were at a point in your career when you were doing some training and you said you remembered why you got into the agency in the first place. What was it that drew you to become an agent, go through this whirlwind, right? And fall back and you fell back in love with that idea of what being an entrepreneur or being an agent means. Find out what it was that drove you to do this thing and then sell that. So if it was to make a lot of money, which is okay, because it provides jobs for lots of people and provides a great living for your family. If it was to help a lot of people in your community, if it was to be famous in your community, if it was just to, as a bragging point, whatever, all these awesome reasons for being an entrepreneur, sell that when it comes time to recruit. That's simple. I'm so quiet because I'm writing it down right now. That's such great right. advice. Just a quick sidebar. I heard that and then I thought to myself, I should tell myself that every time that I'm going through a rut like or through a tough time and I really need perseverance, remind myself, like, why did you start doing this? And like basically bring that to front of mind. That way I can get the fuel that I need to keep going. So I think that your advice can be applied to so many aspects of life. Recruiting is definitely one great aspect because people can't actually connect with you. Mm. Chris, I like what you said there. I'm thinking jobs and we're talking business, but why did you become a father? Why did you get married? Why did you become a faithful person or whatever it is in your life? Like, why did you start a hobby or working out? If we just were to remind ourselves of that, how much more fun life would be? And we kept putting that same early energy into everything we did. Thank you. All right, John, you ready for the Enon? Yes, I hope I'm ready. Go ahead. Last book you read. Atomic Habits. What book have you gifted the most? Slight Edge. That is a good book. 
Hey, on a side right. note, I was seriously thinking about making Atomic uh, Habits my most gifted and switching from Slide Edge. I think they're both equally brilliant, done a little differently. As you can see, all the books behind me right now, if you're listening to the podcast, you can't. But it was actually the Slide Edge and a friend of mine that really got me into reading a lot because Slide Edge okay. said, hey, could you read 10 pages of a sure. book a day? And I thought, yeah, I can read 10 pages a day. And that one truly small Slide Edge thing I think it's been one of the biggest catalysts in my professional career. Truly, just that yeah, one thing I, from that book. I agree, and I can say the exact same thing. And hey, I heard a tip the other day on YouTube. I don't know if you're going to include this or not. This young guy has, I don't even know what his YouTube channel was, but he had this great, brilliant slide edge thing. He does this two-minute rule. He says, whatever it is you want to do every day, and he's talking about forming habits. If you don't feel like doing whatever it is, trick your mind. Say, hey, whatever it is, I'm going to do it for two minutes. And I thought that was interesting, and I've been trying it. Unbelievable. Here's an example. Let's just say I wanted to run tonight, and it's 94 degrees out. We're in Florida. It's miserable, you know, humidity. And what can you do in two minutes? Well, you can get off the couch, you can go find your shoes and put them on, and that's it. And he uses that as an example. But what happens when you get off the couch and you go in there and put your shoes on? You can guess, right? Well, okay, I already went through that. Why don't I just run a little bit? And he uses it, and I thought, well, yeah, but doesn't your mind know it's being tricked since it's your own mind tricking yourself, right? It works. I've been doing it the last couple of weeks, and I just can't believe how many little things that I'm doing more often. And by the way, it's okay that if you do the two minutes and at the end of the two minutes, you say, no, okay, I put my shoes on, I'm done, right? It's okay, but at least you made the effort and more often than not, you'll probably continue on to do those great habits that you were setting out to do. Yeah, and James Clear talks about that a lot, obviously in the book and on a lot of podcasts he does. So yeah, I think it's great. All right, who is your favorite superhero? Superman. I love that American ideals, American values and just being able to be, you know, we all want to be super men or super women. And I think we all have that a lot of Superman in all of us. And I think those cartoons and stories or whatever, we all kind of feel like we have a little bit of that. All right. This is a softball question. Favorite hobby when you're not working? So my two favorite things to do are to surf and believe it or not, play my cello. <laughs> so there's that geeky uh, thing coming out. I do love to surf, but I live in an area where surfing is uh, pretty rare. It's once every couple of weeks it pops up. And so cello is my nightly thing. It was something I did about five years ago on a whim. I'm not musically talented, couldn't sing to save my life. I don't even know what drove me. I bought it on a whim. I do it every day. I love it. When I pick up the cello, I look, it's a beautiful instrument. It looks good. It sounds good. And it just does something for me when I play. And the surprise for me is here's this guy who can't sing and always considered myself musically not talented. I have an ear now. I had a lesson yesterday and I was playing a piece and I knew when I was out and I would adjust and I'd look at my phone, which had a little, tells you when you're in tune or not. I look over and I was perfectly in tune and the cello is challenging because it has no frets and so to play a C you got to just know precisely where it is and it's behind your eye you know you can't even see where it is you have to just know and if you're a micro millimeter off it's not a C it's, it's C sharp or whatever and so it's extremely challenging it's probably one of the you know violins and cellos are hard to learn so yeah long-winded answer sorry that's what I do no thank you we appreciate those answers if you hadn't been an agent what do you think that you'd be doing today Honestly, I think I'd be in General Electric's management 
I was being kind of groomed to do leadership inside G when I left there. And I'm kind of wired to be a corporate guy. And so that's probably where I would have stayed if I hadn't heard about this opportunity. I'm asking this one just because I know the answer. Who's your favorite sports team? Oh my goodness. Is there another one? Auburn University, War Eagle. War Eagle. What's the best piece of advice that you've been given? To make my faith a part of my daily life. That didn't come natural to me. I fought that my whole life. And having something daily, and the advice came from some young people who looked at me for advice for everything else. So I love where it came from. And it has uh, really transformed my late 40s, about to go into 50. And it's transformed, really, my life. All right, last question. You're off the hot seat. What's the legacy that John Schaefer hopes to leave behind? Oh my gosh, it's going to sound so cocky and I'm sorry, but it's the truth. And I really feel like I'd like to be remembered professionally as having transformed what it means to be an agent, where we go from relatively small agencies everywhere to one of scale and efficiencies and affecting a lot of families. Right, being able to not just sell a little bit of life insurance, but to actually have a whole community full of people with the right coverages at a big scale. And I think that can be done in our small agency. It's been great, John. Thank you so much for your time. You've been so generous. It's obvious. I love your energy. It's infectious. It's easy to see why you've had so much success in both of your agencies and why so many people have wanted to come and work for you under your leadership. And just thank you for being the leader and the person that you are and inspiring so many others. You're always very kind with your time to so many other agents, whether they're struggling or starting out and just reaching out to you. So we appreciate that. Thanks for your time. Hey, and thank you guys. I enjoyed meeting you, Chris, by the way, getting to know you, Bradley. I I always enjoy, I always learn something when I talk to you. And so I think you've definitely found your calling. I love that you found something where you can spread beyond just your agency and the peers around you. So kudos and keep up the great work. Bradley, what a great episode that was. I get super energized anytime that I speak to somebody who is very process-oriented, intelligent, and once again, like I said in the beginning, a nerd. And I mean that in the nicest way possible. I consider myself a nerd. The one thing that I walked away with from all the jewels that John shared with us is that you have to be incredibly conscious about deciding the type of culture that you want to have at your agency. And what that means is taking the time to write down the qualities that you want to have as part of your culture and make sure that when you're recruiting people that that they have those qualities. And once they're in the door, once they're part of your agency, that somebody there, whether it's you or somebody else, is making sure that your culture is being followed, that your culture is being implemented. And the one quote that he shared with us is that somebody's always in control of your culture. Make sure that it's you. That's something that really hit home with me. That's something that I really walked away with. And I hope that our agents let that sink in and implement it at their agencies. What did you get from this? First of all, I got that that's a tweetable. I think if there was one thing to be able to tweet off that podcast, I think it was that. I also just believe I love whenever he said recruiting as a process and to think about it as a sales process. And then whenever he talked about having an ideal of what that process is and not trying to be perfect, but having a baseline. So whenever you get off base or off track, you're able to go back to something. And then I just think overall, you just see the passion for what he does and how much he loves what he does. And so to me, if you just encompass everything, you see his energy, it's infectious. And I think that 
more than anything, people are drawn to that energy and that passion that he has. And he loves the opportunity that he has, as he mentioned on the podcast. So, John, thanks for your time. It's great having you on. If you want to grow your business, you got to be on the internet. You've got to have a place on Google in particular. And you're a busy insurance agent. We know that. And so you don't have time to figure out all the Google algorithms. And so why don't you look at Direct Clicks, directclicksinc.com. Reach out to Matt and Maddie Jones at directclicksinc.com. Give them a call. They're good people. They'll be able to have just a complimentary call with you, talk to you about what they do and maybe how they can help you grow your insurance agency. Chris, until next time, lead well. And stay classy. Stay classy.